From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 199 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? Oh, boy, Michael, am I tired, but how are you? I'll bet. We're recovering from the 50th anniversary and recording several versions of the show this week. (laughs) (laughs) Fun story we will remember for uh, ages to come. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And anyway, nope, doing well. You know, I'm not as young as I used to be. So, you know, October 1st and October 2nd, I was in parks from pre-rope drop all the way to well past closing. And I just can't do that anymore. <laughs> I mean, it, it was tough. So, um had a good time. but And then I had a particularly long long flights back a southwest changed my flight several times and basically i spent 11 and a half hours trying to get home and um but like i know you were busy too you had a lot a lot of media events and running back and forth filming then getting home to edit and post it up on the diz and then coming back to the parks for more so i know you were running around like crazy i I mean it was it was a busy a busy celebration for everyone who was there and uh i feel like i feel like exhaustion was the number one thing on everyone's mind during that that celebration and you know what though would it truly be a disney vacation if if you weren't just tired after it and you need a vacation (laughs) from your vacation like Yeah, that's Disney. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in our last episode, we began our celebration of Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary with Craig and I sharing some of our memories. Last week was also the sixth anniversary of Connecting with Walt. So, Craig, congratulations on our anniversary, and thank you for not only being a fantastic co-host, but for all the time and expertise you put into editing and troubleshooting and all the work that you do to get the show on the air each week as the producer. If it wasn't for you, nobody would be hearing any of these shows. No. Uh, thank you so much. That is super kind of you to say. However, uh, I have to sit here and thank you because you are the creative genius behind it. And, you know, I think we all know that I, I maybe help come up with an episode idea uh, once or twice every, every 30 40 episodes uh so not not a significant amount at all the rest is uh is your brainchild followed up with your research your writing all the hard work that you put into it so we wouldn't have a show without you so thank you for all the hard work you do oh you're welcome well together we we make a great team to make connecting with walt happen 
So, um, next week is our 200th episode. And, you know, Craig and I discussed many ideas for this episode. You know, do we have a, you know, really big name, you know, that we interview for this or do a show dedicated to Walt and Roy or something? But, you know, we finally decided to hand it over to you, the members of our Connecting with Walt family who have supported us for these six years and 200 episodes with, uh, by sharing your memories of Walt Disney World that you have sent in to us. So our 200th episode, you are the creators of that. So, but first, we're going to talk about our experiences and thoughts on the 50th anniversary observance at Walt Disney World in this episode, but Sadly, we have to start out with a memorial to probably one of the best-known Disney actors who passed away as of this recording last week, uh, and that's Tommy Kirk. And Tommy Kirk starred in some of the most beloved live-action films of the 1950s and 60s. His first role with the Walt Disney Studio was as Joe Hardy, the younger of the two crime-solving Hardy brothers, in two Hardy Boy adventures that were broadcast on the Mickey Mouse Club beginning in 1956. And Tom Consid- or Tim Considine um, played his older brother, Frank. And I was an avid reader of the uh, Hardy Boy books when I was in like fourth, fifth grade. And uh, so I loved these serials, uh, and especially when they came out. The first, I think the first episodes came out on the um, Disney Treasures series and all that night. I believe I have it, actually. He was then signed to a seven-year contract and was cast as Travis in the classic Old Yeller, which is famous for its ending, which packs an emotional punch, thanks largely to Tommy Kirk's performance. And he went on to appear in several other Disney films, including The Shaggy Dog, The Swiss Family Robinson, The Absent-Minded Professor, Babes in Toyland, Moon Pilot, Bon Voyage, um, Son of Flubber, and the old Yeller sequel, Savage Sam, The Misadventures of Merlin Jones and The Monkey's Uncle, and more. And he got into acting by an accident. One of his older brothers was auditioning for a role in Eugene O'Neill's All Wilderness at California's Pasadena Playhouse, and his brother took 12-year-old Tommy along. His brother didn't get cast, but Tommy got cast for a different role. And shortly afterwards, his parents signed Tommy with a Beverly Hills agency, and his acting career began with several television roles prior to his career with the Walt Disney Studio. His movies were so popular that according to Tommy Kirk, Walt Disney once introduced him to Hollywood gossip columnist Hedda Hopper, who was known for her big hats at the time. And and what Walt said was, this is my good luck piece here. And some three decades later, the comments still resonated with Tommy. And he said, I never forgot that in an interview with the Orlando Sentinel in 1991. said, that's the nicest compliment he ever paid me. Now, after his career with the Walt Disney Studio, Tommy Kirk went on to appear in a handful of films before retiring from acting in the 1970s and went on to open a successful rug cleaning business. Um, Tommy Kirk was inducted as a Disney legend on October 9th, 2006, along with his former co-stars Tim Considine and Kevin Corcoran, we know as Moochie. 
Um, he passed away peacefully in his Las Vegas home on September 28th, 2021, at the age of 79. He and his neighbor and Old Yeller co-star, um, Beverly Washburn, were planning an Old Yeller reunion before his passing. And all of us at the Diz extend our condolences to Tommy Kirk's friends and loved ones. And he will be missed, but he will be remembered through his films. Now, there's a part two to this. And if youngsters are listening, parents may want to pause and have them step out of the room for the next couple of minutes. Okay. Paul Peterson, another child actor who's a former masketeer and is the founder of A Minor Consideration, whose mission is to support child actors, released the statement about Tommy Kirk's passing and stated that, Please know that Tommy Kirk loved you, his fans. And Peterson said, you lifted him up when an industry let him down in 1965. He was not bitter. His church comforted him. Now, Tommy Kirk realized he was gay at a time when it could destroy an actor's career. And some states had anti-gay laws. Articles and social media reports have stated the Walt Disney fired Tommy Kirk after learning he was gay, and it was Walt who destroyed his career. This is untrue, and this is why I'm bringing up this next portion. I've had the opportunity to speak with Tommy Kirk several times, and in another episode, I'll, I'll talk more about those interviews and, and presentations that I heard him at. And what he, what Tommy Kirk said about this on several occasions was that at the age of 22, he met a 15-year-old boy at a public swimming pool, and they entered into a physical relationship. The boy's mother went to Walt Disney in his office at the studio and asked Walt to intercede and help end the relationship. This put both Walt and the studio in a terrible position. At the same time, Tommy had turned to alcohol, pills, and pot as a coping mechanism for the inner turmoil he was going through, and it was having an impact on him when he reported to work. Despite all this, the studio did hire Tommy to act in one more film, The Monkey's Uncle, but that was his last film with the Disney studio. But Tommy did not harbor any animosity for Walt Disney and the studio. He understood the studio's decision and accepted responsibility that his own behavior and drug abuse ended his acting career. He ultimately put this behind him. He found support through his faith and church. So now you can all unpause. Okay. Um, so, Craig, do you have a favorite Tommy Kirk film? I, you know, I probably would say Old Yeller, but I mean, it, it's also hard to pick an absolute favorite because he was in in so many of the classics, and like even I enjoy him in Swiss Family Robinson, even though I I don't like his character so much in that movie. He's uh, a little bit bratty, to say the least. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, definitely, definitely when when you would see his face pop up in a, a Disney movie of that time period, you you knew it was going to it was going to be entertaining at the very mm-hmm. least. Didn't have to be great, but it would be entertaining. 
Yeah, and you knew he was going to be good in it, whatever the role was, whatever the character was. He would be good. For me, I, I, it is this family Robinson. And yeah, his character is a little bratty, but you know, he, I know he feels in competition with his older brother, which is a normal thing that, you know, teenage brothers sometimes go through. And then, of course, they were, you know, competing for the affection of Birdie as well. And, um, so, but now I, that film is my favorite. Uh, uh, Tommy Kirk film. And I th- I think it's because that there was they used to have in the summer at theaters you would you you'd get a subscription you you'd pay for it when you were in school sometimes. And it was like every Wednesday or something of the week um during the summer vacation you would um they'd show family films and kid films and all that. And they a lot of them were largely Disney films. So in one summer I saw 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Treasure Island, Swiss Family Robinson, and it made me want to read those books. Mm-hmm. And that was in a time when it, there were certain books that, that parents felt, a lot of parents, including mine, felt boys should read. And those books were amongst them. And I had read some of the others, like Tom Sawyer and all that, but my parents are concerned that my love of um, comic books was getting in the way of my reading literature. And when I saw those three films, like Boom, 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 all in the same summer, I said, I want to read the books these are based on. So my parents were thrilled. But when I talked to Tommy Kirk about the films, and I shared this with him um, about Swiss Family Robinson was part of what really rekindled my interest in literature when I was like, I don't know, seven or eight or something. Um, He talked about how this film uh, struck a spark in him as well for literature and reading about other cultures and all that. And I remember we got into talking about I don't, we got in talking about like Proust and, and all kinds of things. And I was amazed at how well read he was. And, and I don't know why it surprised me. I didn't know anything about him at the time, but, uh, but, um, but he said that it all came from being an exotic location, you know, filming Swiss Family Robinson, you know, and so, so I thought that was just, I thought that was fascinating. So, and then we recommended books to each other and stuff like that. So, uh, sure. Anyway, so, so interesting. So it's, uh, you know, so I'm sure, you know, we'll, we're probably, if we haven't already, we're all going to watch Old Yeller or, or something else, but, um, and see his, um, remarkable acting. And he, he did say he really did cry, you know, at, at that very poignant scene in Old Yeller. And I don't want to give it away because yeah, no some spoilers. younger folks <laughs> might not have um, watched it. But it's a very moving scene. And he said, but that's the only way you can pull off a scene like that. You have to be authentic. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you can't fake it. Well, Craig, we, we mentioned the 50th anniversary uh, towards the beginning of the show. And I, and when we were when we got together during the 50th anniversary, I know we talked about our thoughts and experiences. And I, I, know, we, I know the listeners want to hear what we thought, and you you talked about it on the on our Walt Disney World show this week. Um, as always, what was neat about being in the parks was how many listeners came up 
and talked about how much they enjoyed the show, how much they appreciated the work we put into it, mm-hmm. and taking photos with us, you know, and um, and how much they enjoy the stories, and in several cases, how the stories have helped them get through uh, events in their lives and all that. And I, I know for, it, it just means so much to me. me and it's such a delight. And that was, for me, that was probably the highlight of the 50th anniversary was meeting so many of our listeners. Yeah. Uh, it's like clearly like we stated that we would be out and about and people knew to look for us. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it was it, it was great meeting everyone who took the time to say hi. And uh, I say that sincerely because, you know, uh, you're taking time out of your vacation to say to, hi to us. And um and like with, you know, with Michael, yeah, you also flew out here and took and took time to have this vacation. So uh, you're you're in a different boat than me, but I'm just I'm going through the parks working. So uh, if that literally if I can call my work day, I just get to talk to a bunch of awesome people about how their their vacation is going and the things that they're getting to see and experience. Then that's a great that's a great work day for me. So please, anytime, uh, even outside of. 50th anniversary celebration fun just if you ever ever see us out and about please please take the time to say hi if it's if it's something you really want to do i i don't think we bite i at least i haven't yet so uh it's you're you don't have to worry (laughs) about that but yeah Yeah. please just just say hi we can have a we can have a nice little conversation or we can do the hat tip and move on from there but i'd I'd love to meet everyone who wants to meet us Mm mm-hmm yeah, one one of the neat things is when I walked into the Magic Kingdom on October first, and I went through the turnstile, and I said to a young woman who was a cast member there, "Well, happy anniversary, you know." And um, and then a young man who had his back to me who was a cast member at the next turnstile turned around, said, "Connecting with Walt," and he said, "I am a big fan." And and that was something because people tend they don't see me often like they see you on, you know, on video or live streaming, but they recognize my voice. Mm-hmm. And so that I thought that was cool because it's nice to see younger people who are interested in Disney history. Yeah. And so that that always um, cheers me up even more. So when it's a young 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 fellow there. So I did get another Walt Disney World survey. Um, a couple of days into my trip, I actually got one. And it was all about COVID precautions and what I thought of them. And, and it, it took me 30 minutes to complete this survey. <laughs> and then also where I ate and shopped at Disney Springs. That's um, yeah, that's what it was. So I don't know what quite what they were getting at with the COVID precautions survey if they maybe they wanted to know if i thought they were doing too much too little is the impression that i was getting who knows who knows because you know just uh not to date this but today in terms of disney news at walt disney world it was announced that uh that distanced uh, meet and greets indoors would resume again so maybe maybe they've been trying to get a grip and uh on what people have to think about a lot of uh, COVID-related issues before they made a decision like that. Yeah, and they're bringing back a lot of entertainment too. Yes. I saw all so, good news for Walt Disney exciting. World. 
Yep. Yeah, yeah. We haven't heard too much from Disneyland. But, um, yeah, but that's nice for Walt Disney World. Let's hope Disneyland's not far behind. But October 1st at the Magic Kingdom, boy, getting there was half the battle for me. Because um, when I called, I was staying at Saratoga Springs, because I'm a DVC member, and I called down to the front desk a, the night before saying, hey, what time is the park really opening? And I was given misinformation. I was told it was opening significantly later than it really did. So when I get down to the bus stop early, what I thought was early, um, there was already a huge crowd and a couple who were going to Animal Kingdom that day told me when they called down, they were told it opened at 4.30 in the morning. And I thought, oh, well, that's a few hours earlier than I was told. But the weird thing is, is that the Magic Kingdom bus just didn't come. I mean, they kept moving it out 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, so that, and all the other buses for the parks kept coming. And so finally, a group of us <laughs> went over when the next Epcot bus came and said, are the monorails running from Epcot to the Magic Kingdom? And he didn't know, so he radioed in, which was very nice of him, the bus driver, and said... um, and found out they were. So a group of us just got on, went to Epcot. It was a breeze, um, getting, uh, getting there from Epcot on the monorail to Magic Kingdom. And, and, you know, and it's, and it's dawned on me, you know what? This is probably the way to enter on the 50th anniversary through the transportation of the future and something so iconic yeah. for a Disney park. So I thought, okay, that, that was pretty good. But, um, you know, I was getting texts from my Disneyland, you know, friends and people, you know, people go to Disneyland a lot who knew, I, you know, some of us had been at Disneyland's 50th anniversary and they wanted to know how did it compare with Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary and, you know, everything that was going on, you know, all the new shows and all that stuff. And Craig, when you and I got together and we talked about this and sort of came to the same decision. This really wasn't a celebration in the sense like the 45th was, or like Disneyland's 50th and 60th and 65th was. Um, this really wasn't a celebration of the park. Um, and that's why I think people went into enchantment thinking it was going to be like Disneyland's 50th anniversary. That fireworks show was a celebration of the park. It was narrated by Julie Andrews. She told a story from Walt Disney's first conception to the orange groves. And then it, and then it was, you know, it, it went through sort of like through audio and the music, the history of each realm of Disneyland and, and some of the parades and things like that. And then, and then she sort of wrapped it up with, you know, again, and that was a celebration of the 50th. Enchantment was a new fireworks show that was introduced for the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. It was not meant to be a celebration of the 50th anniversary. Mm hmm. And I think, I think people who don't, I think people who don't, who, who couldn't shift their, um, preconceived notion of what it would be are that I think that's a big reason why they're really disappointed with it. I, I agree. And I feel 
I feel terrible saying it from the perspective of, you know, it's, people have to get used to the fact that it's it's not about the parks and the anniversary isn't about the parks because it, it should be. It absolutely should be about Walt Disney mm-hmm. World on its 50th anniversary. But I, I'm trying to liken it and maybe it's a bad way to 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 compare it but i'm trying to compare it to anyone's birthday party that they have unless you know unless you're a very special person and it's a very special party i i feel like <laughs> you know you don't spend the entire party watching a slideshow of all of the the best moments of your life I, and i'm sure some people do and that's that's great but you know for for a party you want it to be a celebration with uh with you know with either friends that you love or family that you love and you want to do something fun and really make that day memorable and i feel like that's how disney has approached the walt disney world 50th anniversary it's not so much about about remembering the park after 50 years but saying hi it's it's our birthday so we're going to do something new and fun and we can argue until we no longer have a voice to speak about whether or not that was the right thing to do uh but either way it it doesn't change it at this point and it's not like they're just going to hard stop in the middle of it in change their mind and say you know what we heard you we'll come up with a brand new fireworks show and (laughs) replace it and then we'll bring enchantment back when it's not it's such a milestone and i i think we're going to be enjoying enchantment for many many years to come this is the magic kingdom's fireworks show yeah It, it was meant it was clearly meant to last a long time and you know that's it that's one of those things too that you know in 10 years from now will we feel different about it probably yeah i I think we would but you know it's seeing harmonious did solidified we that the music is way too similar to what was in happily ever after to to really have both of those shows coexist for too long together and Mm -hmm. uh yeah i i do i i understand the perspective of you know, it's the 50th anniversary. Why didn't they try to blow us away with what they did? And I, I, I also feel that way to a point too. But I, I just, I, I, I think about it in two different ways. Uh, one, these shows have been developed in development for years. You know, we found out about Harmonious in 2019 at the D23 Expo. Uh, but it was probably in development for two, three, four years before it, maybe longer. And uh, same thing goes with Enchantment. I, I feel like that was, you know, not in development for as long, but still they were they were toying around with it. So uh, these are shows that have been crafted that might have just you know, luckily come to fruition around the 50th anniversary. If the pandemic happened, Harmonious would already be put in place and we wouldn't be talking about it as a, a 50th anniversary show. It would have already happened. Enchantment. That's a, that's a different story. That might not have been the 50th anniversary show. Uh, that might, that might've been, that whole storyline might've been completely different, but ultimately the other part of this is that, the people who created this show are most likely uh, entertainment and imagineering 
And it's not like Bob Chapek or Josh DeMauro or Bob Iger are sitting in an office somewhere telling them what they need to see out of these nighttime shows. Uh, these these are cast members who are are passionate about these these shows, and they're trying to leave their own stamp on it. And you know, it maybe it doesn't live up to expectations, but that's it. It's still something that they worked very hard from hard on, and they put a lot of their their soul and energy into. So. Like, while I am very adamant about the fact that I don't love Harmonious, and I think Kite Tales is kind we'll of get a to happy that. disaster, <laughs> and I I do like Enchantment, but I also admit fully that it's not a perfect show. Um, it's it, there's no one there's no one way that any of this could get fixed. It just happens to be the people who are in creative positions, the people who okayed these, uh, the ideas, even in general, and the timing. It, it all, it all will, you know, one day, ten, fifteen, twenty years from now, it's probably all going to look completely different. And uh, at the end of the day, it's about being in the parks and being there with your friends, your family, having the experience. Uh, the only thing I'd say is don't, don't let one nighttime show or two nighttime shows ruin your entire trip. Fireworks mm-hmm. are very important to me, but uh, it's it, as uh, you know, as, as Tom Bell used to say on the Disneyland show, Disneyland is more special when it's shared. Uh, this it's more magical. It's more always magical. more magical when it's shared. And the same thing goes for Walt Disney World. So uh, these shows don't focus so much on how they stirred you. Think about the memories you will make with your friends and families as you're watching them. And maybe that will help a little bit. It won't. If you still like Happily Ever After or Wishes More, you know, that's fine. If you still like Wishes More, that's fine, too. But just make make the memories regardless yeah and we have wonderful videos of those those other thank you shows too that you can always visit uh, and watch but now a couple things about pardon me i encourage you to (laughs) yeah yes and they're they're really wonderful i do watch them um i do have a couple of things about enchantment one is is that they Seem, the creators seem to think there's a storyline in here. And if there is, they don't pull it off well. It's not communicated well. The, they have an, their narration has an ending and there's sort of a beginning, but then the whole middle, whatever the story is, how they get it from the beginning to the end, that story is missing. And to me. And, um, so I think, uh, I, it just felt to me like they were trying to get as many characters as they possibly could in the 15 minutes or 20 minutes, however long this um, the, the, this fireworks spectacular runs for. And I, so I, I think it was really weak on story. Because, and I, I bring it up only because, because based on the narration, they seem to fit, they're trying to convince us there was a story. So I don't know what your thoughts on that are, Craig. Um, I, no, I, I agree with you. I, uh, the hard part is I, I think you have two different sides to the story. You have the normal, uh, you have the normal, uh, the normal story structure that you want to hear that, uh, you know, you did have very, uh, very clearly in 
in a lot of shows and attractions like uh, go ride rise of the resistance there is no doubt what the storyline is for that entire ride it is spelled out perfectly for you um illuminations a lot broader as a nighttime show but really uh it told a succinct story once you knew what the story was really in the background you could see oh you know there's chaos and then there you know then you have the the calming and then eventually culture and civilization creeps in and then the celebration like that all was very clear and and that's not always the case but with magic kingdom fireworks a lot of times the story is more emotional based uh, thematically based you know having the the high moments the adventures the climax with the scary moment and then the emotional moment that follows in the footsteps of that and i personally did get that from enchantment but i feel like again that's something that if you don't connect with that music then maybe you're not getting the emotions in the exact same way and uh that's that can be a problem and you know i i would argue that storytelling in disney parks right now is uh very much can be a problem at times you know Mm -hmm. sometimes they're putting too much into the backstory and the characters when they can they can scale back uh, the confectionery being that remodel being a perfect example of look how much story they threw in that remodel and then look at the fireworks show that's happening right outside of the confectionery that's a lot weaker in terms of that story so it's a bit confusing but i do want to i fully believe though uh, Pete Werner on the on our Dis Unplugged Tuesday show made a statement that said, who cares about story and who needs story? Because at the end of the day, sometimes you just want to be entertained. Uh, as someone who studies movies, television, and like loves the attempt of trying to make them and would love to try to make them, uh, that to me just goes against it completely. Story, story is critical. Uh, to well, Walt, Walt Disney said you you have to begin with the story. If you don't yes. have a good story, you have nothing. And I and, agree with that wholeheartedly. So I I think it is important whether or not the story mm-hmm. gets translated well. That's a different call. But it, the storytelling needs to be at its root, and good storytelling makes something unforgettable for ages. Mm-hmm. You also brought up the music. You know, I listened to fireworks and parade music quite often because I find it uplifting. It's happy. It's cheerful. And, you know, I do, I list, I play it when I'm doing chores around the house, when I'm gardening, which means then my neighbors get to listen to it. And sometimes the youngsters in the neighborhood will come around and say, oh, I remember that. We'll get, we'll get in the little conversations about their time at, at Disney park. And then um, when I'm feeling down, if I'm having one of my down days, I'll play it. Enchantment didn't do it for me. There's, I, I don't know what it is. And it goes back to what you said a moment ago. I did not, the music didn't resonate with me. I, this is not, and I would love it. I mean, I do have a, a person that has sent me soundtracks of parade music and fireworks music that has not been available to the general public. And they're, they're very kind about that. Um, they don't do it often, but when they're able to, they do. And and I would love to have Enchantment someday, but to me, it's not one I would listen to the way I listen to Paint the Night or, or um, Disneyland's 50th anniversary, Believe in Magic or Wishes or something like that. Um 
Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it just did not click with me. I, I will say, you know, is it, there are some awkward transitions in it. And uh, stylistically, a lot of people aren't liking the fact that they didn't just pull the original songs and they had new singers singing it. And, uh, you know, I'm more forgiving for that because, it, you know, Disney parks have used uh, choirs and, and mm-hmm. singers for a lot of a lot of the times over the years to redo uh, renditions of songs. So for me, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't so much taken out of it. You yeah, know, that and, didn't put me off. Yeah. It, it didn't in like in some, in some instances, I feel like they, they needed to lean into that to make it, to sell their point even more. Like after the night on bald mountain sequence, which most people are equating to a trans Siberian orchestra version, uh, which, you know, I don't know if that I think it's meant as an insult, but at the same time, it's. <laughs> uh, I like the Trans Siberian Orchestra. I love their Christmas yeah. albums. I've seen Carol and I went to their shows, the oh, Christmas shows. And my family does the same thing too. It's not a. Mm-hmm. It's my dad. It's a yearly tradition for me. It's every about every other year, every couple of years. But uh, I, I like. I don't know how that's an insult. A lot of people love that. So leaning into that style, that's not a bad thing. But after that, that emotional moment like in terms of like having that fear placed in you and that things aren't going to work out then it it drops into that that emotional uh moana song even though it's the second time that moana is brought up in there but like the words in that section are sometimes the world seems against you and the journey may leave a scar but scars and can heal and reveal you where you are like to me when it hit that moment i was like you know that's like that that is one of those moments that get it but then i'm hearing moans of oh, more moana and it's like just it, are you not hearing the same show that i am or am i just more connected to the musical choices i don't know but i yeah i i know it's at some point like it's just going to be a losing battle and people are going to feel how they feel and yeah and it's still enjoyable. I'm sure I'll watch it many more times. It actually took me a couple of viewings of World of Color at Disney's California Adventure to warm up to it and really en- appreciate it. And that might be the way I am with Enchantment. Yeah. Might be a couple more viewings, and then I'll, I'll you know, get a feel for it and, and, and enjoy it more. It'll help so, when you don't have to line up three hours before and then be crammed oh, in a so... crowd sandwich. <laughs> yeah, you know, it would really help, too, if people then didn't lift their uh, cell phones up. Because, you know, you have your shaky hand up there with your cell phones getting – I wanted to shout, have none of you heard of the internet <laughs> where there are 4K high-def professional videos? Look at the ones Craig done, has done. And how many people rewatch those, you know, and – and and all you're doing is blocking the view of the people behind you who just want to enjoy it. That really annoys me to no end. So um, anyway, and um, then there's harmonious that monstrosity that's in the middle of the lagoon there. Which I don't know what happened to the fountains. I don't know what happened to. Um, you know, they turned on for an hour to Disney the the fiftieth anniversary logo that at least was something and then they turned it off so i don't know what was going on there yeah the daytime fountains just really didn't work it's not it's not i I, in concept art it's like yeah if you spray enough water 
it will work, but it, it only took a little bit of wind to be like, no, that's that's funny. That's a great try, but well, they've got to do something about it. But um, but I enjoy the thing, some of the things people don't like about Harmonious. I liked about it. I think actually the storyline that they tried to convince us was an enchantment. That storyline, if they included some narration, would have really worked well for Harmonious about how the stories bring us together. And all that. That is, that's what Harmonious needs. It needs an explanation. Yeah. Um, but I like how they took, again, stories from every, uh, you know, every land that's represented there. I really enjoyed how they did the, um, artwork for the most part. There was some, it wasn't just pulled from it wasn't just recreations of the film it was artists concepts you know how artists reimagining them and how it was in a style of the film or that country like they used hunchback of notre dame for france instead of beauty and the beast which yay mm-hmm. it wasn't just beauty and the beast although it was like it like they started it and changed their mind and forgot to edit out that little part where they started it <laughs> and then uh, but how they told a lot of its stained glass windows of notre dame cathedral and, and for that segment um some of the drawings i didn't care for as i don't think were as artistically as strong like the t- some of the ones for tiana and and you and I talked about this, Craig. It starts out, but it's so it's joyful and wonderful. And this is a nighttime spectacular, folks. There is so much going on, you can't take it all in. And then um and then you're up with the Tiana and the music and you're happy. And then wham, they bring you down with probably one of the saddest songs they ever wrote for a film, that someday song from Hunchback of Notre Dame. It just brought me down Mm -hmm. completely. And they never brought you back up again. Even the exit music was sad. And I I think when you listen to the lyrics, I do think the creators are trying to make a political social statement. Um you know how for you know how these these stories bring us all together, and then they talked about how oh wait a minute we're we're not quite there yet, and all that stuff. I thought you know I didn't need that, and again you should put that in the middle of yeah. if you're going to put that anywhere, put it in the middle. So and then bring us up so that we're happy when we leave and not feeling ooh you know and yeah. um. I someone you know, that's, I I I I'm not sure that it was political. I mean, you and I chatted a little bit about it, but I do think it was a big misunderstanding of the point of the song in general. And I'm sure someone's like, "Oh, you know how Illuminations kind of ended with We Go On? That's about like the future and hope." What what about that song that I loved from from Hunchback in the credits that All for One sang that's like about someday and yeah let's put that in there and it's like oh well they should have done a more <laughs> upbeat one you know get the Cheetah Girls or somebody to do a version of it or something I mean this was just I'm sorry oh. it brought me so down agree but but. Yeah. 
Otherwise, it was magnificent. And like we talked about, Craig, this is going to be better see harmonious now because after these 18 months, when things start to break down with this, like those waving arms and other things, they're not going to want to put the money into it I, to keep this thing going because this is, this is a war horse of, uh, of, uh, of, of, technology that's going on out there yeah and it's it's going to break and they're finally going to say you know what we don't need those arms waving you know what do we really need all of those lights you know so see it as soon as you can kids because i guarantee in two or three years this version is not going to exist no, I, I'm not even positive if this is true. I'm only going based on YouTube comments that I saw, but, uh, someone was posting that apparently, uh, on the October 1st, that it already ran in a B mode version where the arms weren't moving. I, I don't know if that's true, but, uh, that's what, that's what I read from people who were writing to us with it. So, uh, it, it I, you know, it's it's a lot of technology that has to it is. really work well, and that's not Disney's strong suit. It's keeping technology working well. No, yes, and if you if you think we're wrong, let's introduce you to the Yeti over yeah. at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Yeah, meet and, the Yeti, and it, it's not an insult. <laughs> it's it's I'm not trying to do it. It's just sometimes their eyes are bigger than their stomachs when it comes to... to and their pocketbook. Yes, exactly. But <laughs> um, I, I do think it's... I, I think it's a show that will probably look drastically different in terms of the overall spectacle of it in years. And, yeah. you know, it's... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to get a lot nicer with the show, and I feel like I am. Like, I've rewatched the beginning multiple times now i think that the way they open that show with that medley of you know just the subtle uh the subtle laser effects and the blues and then it goes into that like mashup oh, of the, the vocal yeah, the, that t- those test patterns went went pretty long in the beginning <laughs> oh but i loved it i loved it because they chose like some of the um they chose like some of the the vocals from the beginning of moana and then lion king and then the frozen and like those are some of my favorite musical moments. So while it felt like it went on in that moment, when I was watching it, I was like, okay, this show is really setting it up for how epic it's going to be. And, then, and it is epic, but also, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but no. they, they start out some of the songs in the native language of that country. And then they gradually bring in the English or the, and they intermix it. And I loved that. Yeah, yeah, it's I I think that was one of the most brilliant things they could have possibly done with this show. It's like it's probably the thing that I applaud more than anything else is that uh that they did want to to bring in uh the native language to where the the movies would take place, but you know, just so much of it it was like I either liked the visuals and I didn't like the the music to it or I liked the music I didn't like the visuals, but I think like you know, the strongest moment for me in that show was when it went from Hunchback to, um, <laughs> to, uh, to, I believe after that it went into, um, to, uh, Merida and the song from Brave Touch the Sky, mm-hmm. I think. And then from there into Coco with that little mix in of Saludos Amigos, like I felt like that section was strong. 
Uh, but mm-hmm, someone pointed mm-hmm. out later that the one transition from out there into brave was also like very similar to happily ever after. So <laughs> kind of that yeah. would make sense. But I, yeah. I think I will start enjoying harmonious as, as time goes on, but I just wish they would have developed a show that was perfect from every single one of that 1.2 miles in world show. Yes. Versus I was just going to bring that spots. up. Yeah, because, I mean, people started lining up to see it in Spain. I saw it between, um, no, I'm sorry, I saw it between, uh, Japan and, and the American Adventure, the American Pavilion. Yeah. And, um, there, oh, it was already at like 6.30 or so. People, maybe even earlier than that, people were already staking their claims there. And I thought, okay, this is bad. This is bad planning. When, you know, people who are on the sides can't, aren't going to be able to see it properly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. And all that. So, not, not And then good. finally, you and I watched Kite Tales together at Animal Kingdom, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I you know, we saw both the Jungle Book and the, uh, the Lion King versions. We, um, I, I, you know, it's a short show, but I... I I just thought it was joyful. I love the colorful kites. Uh, the how the people the 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 kite I don't know the the kite handlers how they do this with, keep those things afloat and not get tangled up with each other is beyond me mm-hmm. as they move at high speeds. And um, I, I just thought it was magnificent. It's a nice little break in your day it's hot in that theater so bring sunscreen and and wear a hat but it was i found it just i found it delightful you know there's live there's some live music which is nice and then and even the performers that are in the arena the live performers some of them need a few more things to hold that are more visible but um they did a great job, especially I thought the the ones for the um, Jungle Book section. They had, they had heavy things to carry. At least they looked heavy that they had to manipulate as well, mm-hmm. and to go with the action and the music and all that. But I I really enjoyed this, and I love the stunt kites, you know. But of course, you know, my generation, you know, we we were children that flew kites. And made kites and all that stuff. That was I was telling you, Craig. That was my first Cub Scout project. Yeah, you know, we made kites. But um, so I I like the show. It was a wonderful addition, I think, to uh, to you know Animal Kingdom. Yeah. I I mean I fully stand by it. The show was so dumb, um, but entertaining. <laughs> and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I I will continue watching it i would say um i I still stand by it though do not like go out of your way waiting in line too long for this if you have a little one and they want to participate in part of the pre-show where they get to do a little parade holding a little uh a little squirt turtle puppet then then you need to get in there a little bit early because you need to be in that front up seating uh but if you just want to see the show you know i I feel like you can show up at the last second and get a seat in the back. That being said, you sit in the back, you miss out on seeing a lot of the performers in the auditorium, which are, they are incredible. 
they deserve every bit of applause and support that you can get them. They are working mm-hmm. their butts off in a very uh, glamorous, unglamorous job that a lot of people are laughing at. And you can see usually their puppets and their the items that they're manipulating, but a lot of times you can't see them the further back you go. Um, so if you want to see them, yeah, get there a little bit early so you can actually see them. But in terms of the balloons, you know, they're they're high enough that any seat in the stadium is a good seat. Uh, if you want to watch the uh, the crashes, I, I shouldn't say crashes because it's controlled. If you want to watch the, the landings land and come down, then definitely make sure you're on the right side of the auditorium. You'll be a lot closer to it uh, on the left side you can still see it perfectly but you're further away on the right right side of the stadium you can see it a lot closer up uh, but in terms of the shows if you want more balloon action watch the Lion King show and if you want more of uh, if you want more of a balance between performance and balloons then the Jungle Book show is the yeah. way to go yeah and they're both really good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing that they had running at, at Magic Kingdom were the three cavalcades. And, um, I, 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 you know, it was suggested to me. I, I, I remember I saw the first caval, the first cavalcade I saw was Mickey and Minnie and that was two floats. And I thought, okay, fine. Then one came through and, um, it was just one. I don't remember which one it was. And I just said, that's it. <laughs> Loud. Because it went by so fast. There were very few people, like even characters on the walking. And then somebody mentioned to me, uh, just somebody standing next to me said, explain to me the reasons they can't have a parade and it's cavalcades. And I said, have you seen the lines, the virtual cues for the getting the merchandise? Because I really felt to me the 50th was more of a merchandise event than a celebration on October 1st. And, um, and, and this, I said, you know, if Disney's worried about COVID, they wouldn't be having fireworks and all this stuff and, and cramming people into the Emporium exactly. and all that. But she got very defensive. And I'm thinking, you are a cast member. Because you're defending Disney's decision not to have parades way more than a guest would. Yeah. <laughs> so I just sort of let it, I just walked away. I, you know, I, I do prefer the cavalcade still. I will stand by that. I like that it's not a spend your entire day waiting for, for a best spot for the long parade. Uh, I, I, I do. I like the cavalcades better for that. But, oh, um, not me. But that being said, <laughs> Exactly what you just said. Even for the cavalcades, people were too deep all around the hub and Main Street. In some places, there were three, four people deep. And uh, and then the fireworks, everyone is shoved in the smallest space. So it's it's not it's not because of any covid protocols or anything yeah. that they're not doing the, the long parades. But I, I think it's more just so it's so people don't have to plan their day, you know, where they park a spot on the street from one thirty, waiting until three for that parade. And although people were parking at 10 in the morning for fireworks, they were, they were, I'm I'm going to be interested to see how long that all lasts. And I'm going to keep an eye on it. I think that was an October 1st thing. I can't imagine it's going to go. That's going to last. I think at least once everybody sees it. But um, so overall, I I was thrilled to be at the, 
you know, uh, there on October 1st, I really though felt there should have been something more. The dedication should have been that day for guests to see the rededication. They should have done something like that. Um, just to commemorate it, you know, to make it feel like we're actually honoring the 50th anniversary. Yeah. Um, and they also should have given I was there buttons. October 1st, because I mean, that's something Disneyland always has done and they should have done that as well. They did give a commemorative park map and then a a, a photograph of the, uh, the castle, uh, you know, when you left that day. Yeah. So that was nice, but you know, that's just going to go in a closet or something. (laughs) I'm not going to frame it. It wasn't that nice. No, but uh, even, even with the buttons, Walt Disney World has done it for everything. In my eyeline sight, I see my 25th, and then sitting in a little cup beside mine, I see uh, 25th of Hollywood Studios. I see my uh, anniversary buttons for Animal Kingdom, for Magic Kingdom, for the 45th anniversary, for Epcot. This was like the first one that was just out of nowhere, where they're like, no, no, we're not going to do that. So I I will never understand that decision. The lines weren't bad for the attractions. They they were, I mean, a lot of them were only a few minutes long. So, um, so that was nice. I did see some of the refurbished shops. Uh, you mentioned the confectionery shop. I don't particularly like it. Neither so either. it's just, it's just too modern and the food, the, all the good treats are gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, and what they do have has Skittles on it or something. And I will probably not buy candy in there anymore. So, um, cause it just doesn't appeal to me. Vote with and, your wallet. Yeah. And, um, I saw World of Disney at Disney Springs in a creation shop at Epcot. Um, I don't know. I mean, I do like the fact that they're more open. I like the fact that I like the light at the creation shop and it, they, it, and, and you know, that these shops that had curves and rooms and all that, they don't. But they feel, I know there's stories behind them, but they, I don't think the stories are, are done well or in, and I just, again, I feel like these shops could be, if they were in the Galleria that's, you know, 30 minutes from my house, they would feel that they would feel just fine being in there. Yeah. I, oh, I didn't yeah. feel like I was in a Disney park. Huh. I, I think it's solely just. Anymore, the people who are creating and designing this stuff, they are designing based on the aesthetics that they like, not the aesthetics that, you know, we knew before. And I, it's going to change then the next time they're ready to redo a lot of this stuff. We're going to see a complete different uh, look and feeling based on what's popular at that time. And uh, really, the question is just how long is it going to take and what is that next design step going to be? I think it'll be a long time because they, they need to put their money in other things yeah. than redoing the well, shops. And I mean, it's not like people aren't shopping there. Yeah. And I mean, look at it in the first case. Like, I don't remember when Mouse Gears really became Mouse Gears at Epcot, but I feel like it's as long as I can remember in World of Disney, definitely since the the 90s. So I, I think we're we're buckled in for 25 years mm-hmm. or so. But uh, that's that is like a point to remember with it like back in the 90s that was part of the 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 entire look that they were going for at that time with with Disney and with the Eisner designs with it so it's no surprise that uh that 
that's why everything around that time period really looked like it. And right now, everything's starting to look the same because the design has just completely, completely changed. And when we finally start to get used to it, something else is going to come along that is going to disrupt it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of the look, uh, and I posted this on my Connecting Us Walt page, and somebody's upset that I posted it, but um, the costumes, the the cast member costumes at World of Disney, the worst costumes I've ever seen in my life. It was like no effort was put into it. It's like Old Navy sponsored it. It's some of them, it's just a, a, a blue shirt with Mickey icons on it. A lot of cast members aren't even tucking them in, which is fine. But then baggy jeans. And a belt. And you don't even know their cast members, some of them. But I thought, really? This is a costume? I mean, they're hideous. Absolutely hideous. And, you know, I, I just, and, you know, a listener posted that, um, well, because this is supposed to be a, uh, you know, a, a former animation studio. So it, it it, you know, it wouldn't make sense that they wore, you know, nicer, I forget what they said, but nicer cast member costumes. And I thought, well, if that's the storyline, it is not carried through very well. But explains the giant pencils that Rhino in his video was, was <laughs> wondering what were the giant pencils of the mannequins mean. But then when I checked out at one of the desks, I saw they had um, pictures of the nine old men. Some of their artwork in the back on this bulletin board that... If you're across the st- on the other side, in the other lane, you're not going to see very well. And I thought, okay, I get, if this is it, this is the era, this is the look you're going after. Nine old men did not come dressed in ill-fitting shirts and baggy jeans to work. Yeah. So, I mean, oh, it, it's just hideous. And somebody's upset on Facebook because they feel I'm putting down the cast members. I said, no, I'm talking about the costumes. Yeah. And then I asked, and I not, I took photos of the back of them, but I asked, I don't know if it was a manager, supervisor, I don't know who she was. So can I take photos of these <laughs> costumes? And that's why they have their backs to me and all that. And, um, and it's a, as long as I protect the identities. Yeah. And so, um, anyway, but, um, oh, th- I'm just appalled, just appalled <laughs> by it. So. And I think I've learned to just not care about some of those yeah. details as much now. But for Walt, it was all about the details, too, yeah. you know. Yeah, very true. And, I, and flying back, on, I finally, I had downloaded some Disney films from Disney Plus onto my iPad. Craig, I said I was boycotting it. I watched Cruella. I, I So know. I figured, why not? What the heck? And, and break it to everyone. Break it to them right now. It wasn't awful. I enjoyed it. Well, I, 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 I think I enjoyed it because I've, it stunned me that it wasn't awful. The thing is, it's still, there is still a thing that I think they have rehabilitated her because she doesn't. Okay. This is sort of a spoiler, but in the end, she does not dislike Dalmatians. She actually has three as pets and gives away two as puppies to a lady called Anita and a gentleman called Roger. Oh, how clever. As gifts. So, and she does have a Dalmatian outfit. It's made very clear they are not made from dogs. 
So they have toned her down. And that is why, ladies and gentlemen, I do not like these, these remakes. So they rehabilitate wonderful villains and all that, like they did in Maleficent and all that, because they're doing this now with Cruella. Yeah. So, well, maybe, maybe we'll enjoy her, uh, see a, a different side in the sequel. So I still haven't seen it. So mm-hmm. it's worth watching. Oh, I so. am going to. I just it's when when do you find the time? There's so much, so much happening in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I watched it on a plane. I had a long flight with a four year old kicking my seat. <laughs> so I thought, well, the only way I can make this better is to watch Cuella. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, all righty. Well, that's it. So that's that was long, but that's sort of our our take on everything that's going on at Walt Disney World, and we'll be back next month for Destination D. And now it's time for me and Craig to reminisce about this week in Disney history. Okay, Craig, here we are, starting with the week of October 10th. And, uh, oh, t- television. So this, you'll like this one. Yeah. Walt, Dis- Walt Disney's third television series debuted on ABC TV on October 10th, 1957. What is the name of this television series? Okay. So first was Mickey, Mickey Mouse Club. And then, or Disneyland, one of the two. I'm going Zorro. You're absolutely right. Zorro debuts with the episode Presenting Senior Zorro. The new adventure stars Guy Williams in the dual role of Zorro and Don Diego. Zorro, which is Spanish for fox, is the story of a masked rider who battles the unjust rulers of the Pueblo of Los Angeles during the days of Spanish rule. They don't have the full series on Disney Plus yet, do they? I don't believe they still do. I think they just have the uh, the movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I always I wonder how this holds up because I remember watching this when I was a boy, but um, be interesting. I remember I enjoyed it. But. Yeah, I I mean <laughs> I I started to watch the movie and I did not pay attention to it. Um, it didn't really grip me right away, <laughs> so I, I need to give it a. Uh, a better fair shot just like i mean it was one of those things i turned it on at 1 a.m expected to be uh really caught up and captivated in it but i i mean i watched at least the first season from the the zorro set that was released mm-hmm. with walt disney treasures so i i know i've seen the um was there a second volume as well too for season two i don't i don't think so i don't remember but i don't i don't recall seeing it yeah, I, I mean, I, I remember I went through at least the first one. If there was the second one, too, then I I would have definitely have gone through it as well. But it's uh, my brain. Where's it going? <laughs> anyway, October 11th, stage, television, and film actor David Morse, the voice of President George Washington in Walt Disney World's updated The Hall of Presidents is born in Hamilton, Massachusetts on October 11th, 1953. But this is not the first time he portrayed the father of our country. When did he first portray George Washington? 
Hmm. Trying to think about any anything that kind of came out in the thinking about 90s with uh with presidents in it and i'm struggling to come up with anything he portrayed washington in the hbo miniseries john adams for which he received an emmy nomination okay so that's a little later than i i was i was thinking somewhere in the 90s and that was mid mid 2000s close to late yeah i think i think so so he was in the later updated version yeah so and of course he for people who are saint elsewhere fans he first came to national attention as dr jack morrison um from 1982 to 88 i never watched that series i i only thing i remember about that series is that was the first time i ever heard fans of a television series be really angry with the series finale Hmm. you know before lost and and got Game of Thrones and things yeah. like that. So yeah. it was just all before my years. Yeah. So. Okay, October twelfth. Which long-running Disneyland entertainment attraction officially closed on October twelfth, nineteen eighty-six? Eighty-six entertainment. Um, I, I know. Uh, um. I'm going to say just because I feel like we've had this one before, maybe Golden Horseshoe. It is. Yeah. The Golden Horseshoe Review and Disneyland's Frontierland officially closes. And the show written by Wally Bogue and Donald Novis, which has been running since July 1955. And on this show, which holds the Guinness World Record for greatest number of performances of any theatrical production, featured Betty Taylor, who played Slewfoot Sue for 30 years, the longest running cast member. I miss that show. I wish they'd bring it back. And I feel like every year we talk about it, I then say, yep, and it was gone before I was even born. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, October 13th. The first Disney Legends ceremony took place on October 13th, 1987. Who was the first inductee? First inductee was... Uh, Fred McMurray. That's right. Hundreds of Disney employees and press representatives gathered at the Burbank studio to honor Fred McMurray as he arrived, sitting in the back of a 1915 Model T Ford, reminiscent of the one he flew as Professor Ned Brainerd in the Walt Disney film The Absent-Minded Professor, the original one. So, All right. Good. October 14th. Walt Disney's Uncle Remus and His Tales of Br'er Rabbit Sunday comic strip debuted in newspapers on October 14th, 1945. How long was its run in newspapers before being discontinued? I have no idea. Hmm. It Longer than you might think. It, it ran for more than 25 years. Definitely longer than I thought. I was thinking, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, maybe months, maybe a year. That's a long <laughs> yeah. time. It is, yeah. It was distributed by King Feature Syndicate. I remember when I was a boy, they would always have, um, you know, there were there were a number of Disney co- comic strips in the paper. Mickey Mouse had one. Donald Duck had one. Scamp from 101 Dalmatians had one. He had his own comic books too. And um, but then on Sundays, 
whatever the new Disney film was, whether it was animated or live action, would get, it was like, like Prince Valiant, if you remember that, that one. Yep. Um, it would get that half page kind of, um, run for several weeks, uh, in, in the Sunday strips, mm. um, comic, you know, comic strip version telling the story of the film. So anyway, so that was always nice. I don't think they do anything like that anymore. Yeah. So, Okay, October 15th, the Mickey Mouse musical cartoon, The Jazz Fool, was released on October 15th, 1929, directed by Walt Disney. It is a salute to two recent Al Jolson films. What are the titles of those films? I know one has to be The Jazz Singer, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure about the other. I didn't, I've never heard of the other. The Singing Fool. I've never heard of it. Yeah. No, I thought maybe since you knew a lot about film, you might have. But I do, no. but I won't be honest. That time period is not my uh, strongest in yeah. terms of knowledge. Now, when I was little, they were still like running the jazz singer um, because they were desperate for things on television in those days. So I know I saw it way back in the day, but um, yeah, the, the singing fool I've never heard of. Yeah. Okay, October 16th, the Disney Brothers Studio is founded as a partnership on, uh, on, uh, on, on um, October 16th, of course, we all know the date, 1923, the day after Walt and his older brother Roy sign a contract with M.J. Winkler, who is a New York cartoon distributor, produce a series of animated short subjects, which will be the Alice Comedies. On what street is the Disney Brothers cartoon studio located? Oh, um, I I know this one, but um, I think you passed by it once. Yes, I have. Um, I know it's an avenue. I rem- mm-hmm. that's sticking out to me. I can't remember the. First it's an one. avenue in Los Angeles. That could only be like five things. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not coming to me. Well, at this time, the Disney Brothers Cartoon Studio is located on Kingswell Avenue mm. in Los Angeles, California. It's a stru- it is a structure. It's in the back of a realty office that the brothers are renting. Although in February 1924, they will move into the building next door, taking over the whole first floor. Now, I'm wondering is, you know, the now what's there now? I think last I heard was like a photocopy shop. And um and they have a little sign in their window saying this is the Disney Brothers, you know, Walt Disney's first studio. Is it the realty office one or is it the one next door? I feel like the one next door. Yeah, that's what I have a feeling it yeah. is too. I have to go back and look at my pictures that are all blurry as you drive by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't think they drove us by it on my backstage magic. And if they yeah. did, they certainly didn't mention it. Yeah, we, we definitely did. It's just not, I'm not remembering. It's a, It's been a while. I mean, my last one was 2015. So. Yeah. Well, I think mine was even before that. So. <laughs> So, well, anyway, you did very well this week. Thank you. Know your history. 
So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? Oh, as always, you can find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, when, you know, Facebook and Instagram are completely crashing uh, to the <laughs> ground. You can find like the me. Wi-Fi at the Magic <laughs> Kingdom on October first. Yeah, the lots of, lots of crazy things have been happening in the world of the internet as of recently. But you can find me on all those social media channels at Teleclaster. You can find me on all the variety of shows that I'm on on the Dis Unplugged Podcast Network, and then you can find me uh, via. Well, you can't find me, but if you want to connect with me a little bit further, you can connect with me via email. Craig at WDWinfo.com. But what about you, Michael? You can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. On Twitter, I'm at MBowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling dash connecting with Walt. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at Connecting Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at DisneyUnplugged.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon Podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. 